A quick word before we begin today's show. As we're all working from home, we can all get tired and get that 2.30 feeling. For me, it happens actually about 3.30. But for other people, 2.30. You're not alone. In fact, research shows that more than 70% of us hit that wall after lunch. Let a five-hour energy shot help you leap over that wall instead of crashing into it. They'll help you get stuff done. Five-hour energy shots are portable and effective at getting you the alert, energized feeling you need to get work done, even if you're working from home. Because that couch can be a little bit too convenient. Five-hour energy shots help you get through your day with zero sugar, four calories, and a convenient portable size. It's the perfect pick-me-up for a busy, hardworking person, even if you're working from home. It also comes in two extra-strength tropical tastes, strawberry banana and tropical burst. They're delicious. And they can take you on a tropical get stuff done experience. Go to fivehourenergy.com to learn more. And two people get stuff done, Adrian Wojnarowski and Doris Burke. This was some episode um, of the Woj Pod that uh, came out last week. Um, a very important conversation where Doris describes um, testing positive for COVID-19 and um, her issues getting past the illness. Uh, you definitely are going to want to check that one out, as you should check out all of Voyage's pods. Um, you can get it wherever you get your podcast, leave them a review, and leave a Hoop Collective review while you're there to tell us what you'd like to hear more of, what you'd like to hear less of, or whatever. Until then, here's today's show. So you've heard of um, love in the time of the cholera? Well... In our neighborhood, we have love in the time of COVID-19 happening. So across the street from us, I don't know if she's a high school age girl or she's an early college girl, but she's a teenager. And um, she has been receiving a gentleman caller uh, several times a week. And they sit on coolers. I think it's way more than six feet. I think it's a 10 foot. They sit 10 feet apart in the driveway. He brings his own own cooler, and she has her own cooler, and they sit on them, and they, they talk in like a date format for hours. Last <laughs> week, he was over three times for at least two hours each time. And like some of the neighbors that we communicate with, uh, we're all watching. We're all fascinated. Um, <laughs> we're like, they're still going. Oh, my God, they're still going. It's the best show on TV right now. And um, – you know, obviously there's FaceTime, but uh, this young couple doesn't want to do FaceTime. They want to do face-to-face as much as possible, and they are practicing uh, safe distancing. It is a sight to behold. It is uh, it is uplifting. We are waiting to see if they uh, – the gentleman did not come over the weekend. Um, maybe he'll come next week, or maybe it's over. Maybe it didn't work out, but it, it's love in the time of the coronavirus. That's, <laughs> that's the, what's gripping our street right now. To the Hoop Collective podcast, we are presented by Goodyear. We talk about the NBA. Joining us from Southwest Florida is Bobby Marks, practicing social distancing, not going on the beach with a bunch of people like in Florida. Right, Bobby? Right, Bobby? Right, Bobby? No chance, Brian. I don't. I haven't left my house in. Well, I left my house to teach my. I was telling uh, Kevin and Andrew that. I ne- I've neglected to teach my kids how to ride a bike, and I finally caught up to me 13 years later. So that's what I've been doing the last two days in our outside our house here. So we've not right. broken the rules. Sounds good. And I know uh, Kevin Pelton in Seattle, where there is it's uh, 
very serious situation, I'm sure. I hope you're healthy, and I hope you're safe, and everyone there is safe as well, Kevin. Yeah, so far so good. Definitely taking everything very seriously uh, and have been for a while here. Right. Uh, Andrew Hahn is uh, in Los Angeles, and he'll be bothering us, I'm sure. Um, so, Bobby, you have a, uh, a humongous document that is ready for the NBA junkie who has time on their hands. Oh, by the way, there are quite a few of those type of folks uh, here uh, dropping this week, which is your off-season guide because, um, you know, this is what teams have to start doing. Even though there's a season left to do, they have to start planning their off-season, and uh, you go team by team. Um, and before we talk about some of the teams that are interesting, or especially interesting to you, that have had their situations all complicated by this uh, this unfortunate event, um, in talking to people... Are we going to see any significant free agency whatsoever in this offseason, whenever that offseason is, whether it's this summer or this fall or anything like that? I mean, do you anticipate with all the uncertainty that's happening that we are going to see big long-term contracts signed by anybody, even the few stars who are up, who are going to be up? I don't I don't see it. I, I even think, guys, that um, player options – the likelihood is that players are going to opt in, right? Um, especially if you are Gordon Hayward, who's got a $34 million number, even possibly DeMar DeRozan and Andre Drummond, players like that. I think we might look at a 90% grade on player options here. But uh, no, I mean, we'll, we'll wait to see where the cap goes. But I think we might have, uh, even though this free agency will be extended, and we don't, we don't know when it will start, but it's, it could be probably one of the most quietest ones that we will see in a long time here. Let me remind people of a guy who's got a player option out there who we haven't talked about or paid attention to at all. Um, Anthony Davis has a player option. What do you think will happen? What do you think Anthony Davis is going to be looking at? Uh, uh, it's certainly not the time to sign a five-year deal with the Lakers, uh, the numbers probably won't make sense. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot will depend on what happens with the cap, right? I mean, you know, Davis is 30% of what the salary cap, if the cap comes down, um, you know, drastically, which I, I don't, am not anticipating. Um, it would certainly might even behoove him to opt in, possibly, or, um, maybe do a one-year contract and wait into the summer of 2021 here. So uh, I think it was kind of a layup that he was going to opt out and sign a bigger-term deal or even a short-term deal and, and, and play it out for two years like Kawhi did and, and Paul George and look to get to that 10 years of service. But I think everything is kind of will be on the table when it comes to uh, Anthony Davis here. Uh, Kevin, um, so if the salary cap – if we have a, a BRI, basketball-related income crash, and the salary cap might come down, and they may have to make some tweaks to the CBA, but what do you think we're going to see in free agency? Yeah, I mean, I, I think my general expectation right now is, you know, this is I've heard other people mention, is that the default may be to try to negotiate to a position where you keep the salary cap where it was this year instead of having a decline at all because you know that would create so many issues in terms of the luxury tax like you're saying and and in for players hitting free agency this time and i think i'm hopeful that the players association learned from what we saw with the cap spike which was a different situation but you know basically it meant that 
the luck of the draw was really important for free agents. If you happen to be a free agent in the summer of 2016, you got paid and you're on some of these long-term contracts that have proven unpalatable that are just coming to an end now. But then if you came up for free agency two years before or two years after, then you didn't get in on that same gravy train as everyone else that was a free agent in 2016 did. So I think the Players Association has an incentive to try to avoid that and minimize the shock to a system and make it so, you know, maybe there's not the $6 million jump we expected this year, but that there's not a steep decline, which would then presumably be followed by another spike in 21-22 because of the fact that BRI would be more normal in the 2021 season. That's a lot of, of um, you know, legalese there, Bobby. I know you understood every syllable of it, but basically <laughs> um, – the the union famously rejected the smoothing proposal to smooth the spike, but if we were looking at a drop, uh, they might smooth it. They might smooth the drop after not smoothing the spike. Um, so one of the teams that you have talked about as really being fascinating to you with what's going on is the Milwaukee Bucks, who are really hoping to get a chance to play for a championship this year. Um, but I'm just going to bring up right off the bat. Let's let's take out what the Bucks do in the postseason um, or if there is a postseason. We just talked about how it doesn't make sense to sign a long-term contract this summer. Uh, even for a guy like Anthony Davis, who's healthy, who's happy, healthy, and thriving in Los Angeles. Um, what to do with Giannis Tenacumpo with uncertainty over what the max might be? It, even if he's, even if the Bucks win the championship and he's thrilled and happy and wants to stay, it might not make sense, right, to sign the Supermax this summer. Well, you're right, because he's even, he's Supermax eligible in the summer of, um, you know, the summer when he would be a free agent, which would be 2021. Um, so the but, but ma- the key is he could extend this. He could extend this summer. He could. Yeah. Doubt. Five years. Um, right now it's at 250 million. We, we don't know where the cap in 2021 it's. You know, right now it's um, you know projected to be 125 million. Um, we'll see what happens there, but yeah, I mean that's going to be that's the big question. That's probably going to be the biggest question that we'll see this off um, this off season. When, whenever the first day of free agency is going to be, um, will Giannis sign the super max? Um, if he does not, what is the plan for Milwaukee? Do you play it out? Do you? Which I would recommend them doing, um, unless he asks, certainly asks for a, a trade. Um, but the, you know that's that's the, that's the hot topic there as far as um, you know with the Bucks. So uh, Kevin, the thing is, like, it's not so much whether Giannis would want to sign an extension with Milwaukee; it's whether it's fiscally responsible to do so. And again, let's just let's just play this out. Let's say let's say we come back for some sort of playoffs. Milwaukee wins the championship. We have a virtual parade. Giannis is the MVP. Everything is going great. He's in love with the city. He is envisioning building his dream home along Lake Michigan. He is a a new father, and he wants to. I I go on and on here. He wants to be wants to run for mayor. He wants to change his middle name to (laughs) Wisconsin. How how we want to do this? But because of the fiscal challenge it may not make sense for him to do that and therefore could the bucks face the stress of next season even after they theoretically did everything right 
Well, so I think the good news for the Bucks is, you know, he's not going to be able to sign for more by waiting to go to free agency for that season than he would by extending because it's going to be set based off where the cap is in 2021-22, not where the cap is next season. So, you know, that's probably not going to be dramatically different depending again on what happens with smoothing than it would be, you know, the year after that. I, I, one question I have for Bobby, I, I've never really thought about this because of the fact that the idea has always been when you get the supermax, you want to lock in for as many years as possible. Is there a minimum number of years no, that you could possibly sign? to be, has to be five. Okay. That's it. Five or nothing. Huh. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, certainly guys who have extended, right, have added on. But those were, um, you know, like I think um, Damian Lillard added on, right? What did he add on? Three years, I believe. Um, I because four, he had, because he had or two four years. Four years. Contract, yeah. yeah. So it could be, you know, the total years remaining on your on your contract here. But with – um, but with Giannis, it would be, um, you know, an additional, uh, five years there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a tougher sell. Yeah. Um, the Bucks have other questions though, Bobby, um, that you've highlighted in your report. Um, they've got a fair amount of, of free agents and other, and other situations. Um, what's some of the things about Milwaukee that you're going to be watching other than Giannis? Well, I mean, they're going to be, and it's, you know, we'll, we'll grow back to finances here as far as they've made it a, a point last summer to, to stay away from the luxury tax, right? When they did the, um, Malcolm Brogdon trade, um, they're going to be certainly restrict. They've done a really good job putting that bench together. And I think you've got free agents like Kyle Corver and Pat Connaughton, um, Wesley Matthews and Robin Lopez to have player options. Marvin Williams, you picked up at the, at the buyout is a free agent here. Um, as far as how do you kind of patch together that that bench, which has kind of been a um, a strong part here. They do have, you know, they've got the 19th pick in the draft right now, which is Indiana's pick, and then and Urshan Ilyasova's got a non guaranteed. So, what does that maybe get um, get for you? But they're going to be restricted, guys, as far as what they're going to be going to be able to do as far as with that bench. So another team that you have highlighted um, is you think is going to have a fascinating summer whenever we get to that, even if it's a fascinating fall, uh, are the Brooklyn Nets. Um, they don't have a permanent coach right now. Uh, one of the things that happened right before the break was Kenny Atkinson parting ways with the with the Nets. Um, Bobby, I believe they've telegraphed that they intend to try to use of their young talent to acquire a third star along Kyrie and Durant. Now, we could enter a healthy debate here about whether Karis LeVert is that third star, and they may make the decision that he is. But my feel at reading the tea leaves, paying attention to what Sean Marks has said, and also being aware of some conversations that they had at the trade deadline, which was some sticking the toe in the water of some things, I think that they are going to swing for the fences whenever the offseason comes. And they're going to have to potentially hire a coach that's going to help them do that. Um, what are some of the things that they're looking at in what could be another pivotal offseason for them as they get ready to come online, so to speak? Well, I think that, you know, of course, the coach is the first priority. And, you know, whoever they hire, you know, you are inheriting, you know, you're basically have pushed your chips into the middle here. I mean, this is kind of a, a roster that, you know, is expected to go pretty far here. But, you're looking at you have got the free agency of, of Joe Harris, right? Another guy out there that you know before 
you know, the economic downturn here was looking at probably north of $14 million. Um, Brooklyn's in a luxury tax for the first time since when I was there. So uh, don't bring congrats, congrats don't to the that. Nets for getting back, for getting <laughs> back in there. Uh, the, I think the interesting thing, guys, is going to be what they do with Spencer Dinwiddie because he's got a player option for 21-22. Um, he likely 12, 12 million, does, yep, 12 million on that. Yeah. Uh, he's extension eligible in December to add on, um, you know, a, a few more seasons here, but at a low number, uh, and he's been a really good insurance policy for Kyrie. So is he your, you know, you mentioned Brian, as far as dangling, and he's not one of your younger players like Levert or Torian Prince, but is he kind of your, your your name that you were looking to move and do you have i think the, the question kevin is, is that you have faith in Kyrie staying healthy um because dinwiddie's been such a good backup for him that's a really good question i mean he's missed, missed extended periods now multiple seasons in a row so i i think that has to be a big question i mean i think that's one of the disappointments of the season is you didn't get more of a chance, though, to see how well do Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie play together. I think the numbers were pretty good, if I recall correctly, when those two guys were on the court together in a, in a pretty small sample. But, you know, that's the other question is for Dinwiddie and Karis Levert, how well are those guys going to play if they're the third option offensively, if you're playing them alongside Kyrie and KD, which obviously they never would have had the chance to, to see them with Durant this season, but uh, not as much time with Kyrie as you expected, particularly because Levert had an injury of his own. So Kevin, let me ask you this. Let's say they make, let's, I think Bobby brought up a good point and that Dinwiddie, not only is he pretty valuable at his, at his salary number, but he's, um, but uh, he is a great backup option for Kyrie or starter option if he's if he's injured. If you have Levert and Jared Allen, I feel like those are their two best young assets. Um, do you think that's the type of package that you could acquire could be the basis for going after going big game hunting, going after let's say Bradley Beal? Should he become available? Um, you know the big name that a lot of people are still waiting for is whether Drew Holiday would ever become available in New Orleans. Like, is that is that the type of package that you could get that, uh, or do you think Levert is the type of guy you'd want to hold on to because you probably couldn't trade him for a player necessarily that is on his type of contracts who's got his type of talent? Yeah, I've never been a big Levert believer. He hasn't had average efficiency in terms of true shooting percentage since his rookie season in the league. And even this year when he's hit 38% of his threes, far and away a career high, his his efficiency still overall is not very good because he's only made 43% of his three-pointers. So uh, to me, he's more of a volume score that would be useful on a team that you know was in need of offense, that was light on star power, and that definitely doesn't describe the Nets. I, I don't know if it would describe those teams either, but um, the sense I get about Levert, and I'd be curious if you guys agree is that there's kind of a, a wide spectrum of opinions about his ability in the league that there are a lot of people that are really high on him and do think he has star potential and bobby the contract that he signed last um, fall uh you know he's coming off a couple of big injuries including that you know really rough ankle injury last year i can understand why he locked in when he did but it was deemed as a good value contract uh not only trading for him but trading for his contract would have value too i would think well, you're right. I mean, he's got, you know, three years guaranteed at sixteen and a half, seventeen million dollars. That's a high value contract. And for him, you know, so yeah, you're right, Brian. I think locking into that number when you've had so many injuries at Michigan, 
um, the, his first, you know, three years in the league, um, he had been an injury plagued here, various different injuries. He was hurt this year for most of uh, a good chunk of the season. So that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good number as far as if you're looking for a team, that's not a dead weight contract. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, that has been expressed sort of through the grapevine, that's the way I'm going to say it to protect myself from the aggregators is, um, that uh, Durant and Irving would like a blue chip coach. A I don't know what this says about the way they felt about Atkinson, but they want a big name coach. Now we can debate on what big name means. Um, you know, who are some of the candidates that you think uh, uh, have a good have a good opportunity there, uh, Bobby? Well, I mean, I think you look at guys who are not in who are not working right now um who have established backgrounds so that goes towards guys like jeff van gundy um certainly tom thibodeau um i think you know certainly probably mark jackson's name will be mentioned um i don't want to dip into the guys who are currently have a job because the aggregators will pick that up and they'll think i'm <laughs> i'm going somewhere with that um right but i think that's kind of where i think for the um i think you have to have a let, let's face it right this team is all in right so you the one thing you're not going to do is hire a coach and then all of a sudden you get to december and you're like oh we made a, the wrong decision and it's basically probably Cleveland over again. But that was different because when David Blatt was hired, right, Brian, LeBron had not um, oh, no. not committed there yet. So he no. he and Harry, he thought he was coaching a totally different team. If you ever needed proof that there was that the Cavs were not cahoots with LeBron, it was a David Blatt hire. Um, well, is this where we bring up Ty Lue's name as a possibility? Oh, Ty Lue also. Yeah, that's, well, yeah there you go, Kevin. Well, who, is, who yeah. is working but is an assistant. That's true. Let me ask you this. Now, I just want to point out that you mentioned Tom Thibodeau. Thibodeau, uh, all roads lead back to Team USA, right? Um, Thibodeau was an assistant on some of those teams, uh, and I believe was an assistant with Durant and Kyrie. There's a, Even though he's never directly coached them uh, in the NBA, there's that connection with Team USA. Um, Thibodeau, I believe, is going to be a candidate for the Knicks job as well. Uh, he is been long represented by CAA, uh, who Leon Rose ran the CAA basketball division, and Wes Wesley uh, was one of his first clients, I believe, was Tom Thibodeau, when he became a coaching agent about a decade ago or whatever it was. Um, if you were Tom Thibodeau and you had an opportunity at the Knicks job or the Nets job, how would you decide which you were more comfortable in taking? Well, I don't know if I'm excited about either of those. <laughs> I think it's it's kind of like, what are you looking for, right? Are you looking to try to get onto onto the mountaintop as quick as possible? Then I think it's probably Brooklyn, right? Because they they give you the best chances. Um, they probably give you the the most um, heartache, or as far as the pressure to win every night, it will be high. I think if you are looking for to develop your own team into the way you see it and have your your imprints all over it and putting a roster together, it's probably the Knicks. And you probably have a little more of a leeway to do so. Yeah, you know, Kevin, he's got a a real good working relationship with Leon Rose and and Wes Wesley. I know Wes hasn't been named anything official with the Knicks, but trust me, he will be heavily involved. 
um, that that connection will matter. But Durant, Irving, and let's say they make a big move. I mean, you're looking at a championship contender, depending on how things go. I mean, you, um, I, don't, I don't know how many more bites at the apple Tibbs is going to get. He's he's you know the washout in Minnesota has has, has damaged him. If he has another. He doesn't do well in this job. His he may be his days as a head coach may be over. It's a really important potential decision if those are both on his plate. I mean, I think so. Is it is the you know he uh, uh, was the weekend that Kenny Atkinson was relieved as coach in Brooklyn was at Sloan going through the car wash there that has been kind of uh, a fixture in recent years for coaches who are trying to get back into it and rehabilitate their images and you know show how seriously they take statistical analysis. Uh, you know, to, to varying degrees in their actual con, but presence there. Uh, I, I mean, the, all of these jobs that are going to be open that we expect this offseason probably have some flaws, but it doesn't feel like the last few coaches who have coached Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant have come away feeling really great about that experience. <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, Kyrie, um, <laughs> Kyrie is a, he's a challenging guy to coach and play with. Um, just the way it is. Uh, there's, there's, there are going to be a lot of rewarding nights. And there's going to be a lot of hard nights. I think, I think we know that. I think, you know, in all honesty, uh, if you're the Nets, you got to make all your decisions based on Durant, because Durant, in my mind, is the better player between the two. Assuming he returns to generally the same type of quality, I have no reason to believe he would. He wouldn't. And um, you know, Durant does not have a history of running through coaches. Even though he's can be a bit to handle because he's he's a little bit mercurial to be to be kind. Um, I think if you're the Nets, you're you're taking Durant's opinion more to heart than Kyrie's. Now knowing them, they're probably going to be on the same page. But uh, I think that would be a that's the way I would go if I was Sean Marks. I would care more about keeping Kevin Durant happy than Kyrie because I don't I don't know if Kyrie can be happy. Um, Another team, Bobby, that you have highlighted as having a bunch of offseason decisions um, is the Denver Nuggets. Um, the Nuggets have a whole ton of money committed next year because Jamal Murray, uh, his max contract is uh, is coming on the books, and they already owe Jokic and Manny Harris. They, Manny Harris, she's um, – <laughs> Boy, that's uh, that's a, is that Michigan Manny Harris? Yeah, he, he froze his foot in the uh, cryogenic. Yeah, yeah, he put his foot in the cryogenic chamber and he froze his socks to his feet and it derailed his career. I felt he pulled an Antonio Brown, didn't he? Yeah, was that yeah. that's what he did? That's exactly yeah. that's right. That's exactly right. Um, no, not Manny Harris, uh, Gary Harris. Um, all all of those salaries are on the books. Seems like Jamal Murray is already enjoying his life on the max contract. I'll just leave it at that. Um, Bobby, uh, they, they got a bunch of free agents. Uh, Paul Millsap, Mason Plumley, Torrey Craig, uh, Jeremy Grant, if he opts out and their concern over paying all those guys has already led them to trade off a couple of free agents to be, um, they traded off, uh, specifically, um, Malik Beasley, who's off to a really good start with the Timberwolves at the trade deadline. Um, the Nuggets are not a team known for going deep into the uh, the well, uh, even ever. I think they've been a tax team maybe one time, two times. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think is at their feet when they get through this season? Well, you're right. I mean, three out of their four, I guess, 
key free agents are all bigs with uh, with Millsap, Plumley, and I think it'll be interesting now what what Jeremy Grant does with his um, with the player option. It's it's a little bit south of where the mid level would be, which is at nine eight. His player option is at nine point three. But I think guys, this is kind of where we're missing the season and what and what happens in the in the in the postseason because. A lot of it, I think, will be based on what is the expectation level, I think, of Michael Porter Jr. As far as do they see him as a, a low-cost option um, to replace, um, you know, maybe a Millsap. You know, Plumlee's a little bit of a different position here. But to kind of go in that, that, that direction, and I think the, the playoffs would, would give them a barometer as far as where they are. But, you know, they've got $115 million guaranteed. Uh, in, in salary, including um, the Jeremy Grant player option, as you're and you're right, Brian. They, this is a team that's you know hovered around the tax all all year. They're right a, a million dollars um, below it. Uh, I don't see them bringing all four guys back and 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 blowing through the payroll here. No, I think that seems very unlikely. I mean, one thing that could be good for them is, you know, what's the market going to be for a backup center like Mason Plumlee? We haven't seen those guys do particularly well in free agency in years past, even when times were good. So, you know, if nobody has cap space this summer, I, I feel like that's a position that could particularly get squeezed. Well, you're too, right, too, Kevin, because I think, you know, what's going to happen, and we wrote about it a little bit in, 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 um, in, in February after the deadline, is that, the mid-level exception is going to be like the priority exception, right? I mean, mm-hmm. with so many teams, few teams with, with cap space, and that, these numbers might go down a little bit further, that teams that are having that $9.8 million exception, um, you might be able to go get a guy who could who was looking for 15 to $16 million. Or you can probably split that up into two guys that were looking for get to get 10 each. Um, so I think there's going to be, um, there's going to be priority there. Kevin, what do you project? Can you project Michael Porter to be? You know, there's a lot of excitement around him because he fell in the draft because of his back, and they got him at the back of the lottery, the 14th pick. Um, and a lot of people think he's got a future star written all over him. But Mike Malone, and maybe it's because they have a team that's competing for something, but Mike Malone has not shown a heck of a lot of. It's what this way, the excitement hasn't necessarily transferred to the coach because <laughs> he has he has yanked him. He he was very slow to put him into the rotation. He's yanked him from the rotation time to time. He's he's kept him coming off the bench. He's only averaging fourteen minutes a game. Obviously, he's playing his first year coming off a back injury. I'm not expecting him to average twenty and ten, but there is an extraordinary belief that this is going to be their next star. Do you believe that's warranted? I mean, he's hard to project if only because of the fact that we don't know what his health situation is going to look like. And, you know, to some extent, his role probably has protected him that he's not playing as many minutes, not putting that kind of wear and tear on his back. But, yeah, I mean, this is someone that people thought was going to be a dark horse contender for rookie of the year this year. And while he's played at that level when he has gotten an opportunity, I I never saw that kind of role for him this season. And it hasn't been there. So I think one of the interesting questions is, does the Nuggets front office kind of manage things such that Malone almost doesn't have a choice but to play Porter a, a much larger role next season because of the fact that you let Tory Craig, who's been something of a security blanket for Malone, and you know let him go, and then presumably one of the two power forwards just from a financial standpoint, and that almost forces you because now you're down from you know they were like an 11 man rotation at the start of the season with Beasley and Juancho Aaron on Gomez down to like eight or nine. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously the team has a lot of depth, so you, you weren't expecting him to get the, you know, he was not going to have John Morant minutes, okay? We know that. But it's just more that um, Malone hasn't, he's really kept the leash tight. And it's it's been more than just because they're worried about his back. Um, right. He doesn't trust him as a player at times. So he is shooting 42% on threes. And um, a six foot ten guy, I think that's how tall he is, uh, a six foot ten guy who can hit that kind of three point range, um, you figure that's only going to improve, uh, is a super valuable guy in the modern NBA. So uh, I think if he stays healthy, he's going to have a long career. But it's been fascinating to watch uh, because those Nuggets fans want to see him so much. And Malone <laughs> just doesn't always want to the same, see the same thing. Um, Bobby, what are some of the other teams that you, uh, as you put together, put this together? And by the way, this is going to post on ESPN on Monday or Tuesday, Andrew? Monday. Okay. Uh, definitely, you will be smarter as you are with most of the things that, that Bobby uh, Bobby writes. A lot of times I, uh, I, I'll be talking to league executives and they'll be like, well, you know, Bobby wrote that, you know, thing or, you know, well, you know, as Bobby said on TV and it's like, yes, it's like, you know, having our own personal GM in house. So, uh, but Bobby, uh, other than a couple you mentioned, who are the other, some of the other teams that you're interested in? Oh yeah. I mean, I think with Brett Brown, it depends on a lot of it was going to depend on as far as what was going to happen during the playoffs. And if, if there's not a, a season or, you know, a, a postseason, you know, worst case scenario is, What's the future for him going to be? Um, can you afford keeping him? And then if they get off to a slow start, um, reboot in, in November or December. But this team is going to be awfully expensive, guys. I mean, you've got um, four guys, you know, with Simmons and Bede, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford, $120 million. Yeah, Simmons million. is like with uh, Denver and Jamal Murray. Simmons' max is coming online, whatever that number is going to be. And this is a team that's going to be in the, in the luxury tax. And I think, Brian, you mentioned it um, when we first started here. The Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Golden State, Boston, four teams that we project to be in the luxury tax. And all four teams are keeping an eye on where that number is going to be. And, and, and Kevin said, if let's play the card if it stays where it was at, you know, from this previous year. And, and I, I was doing the numbers. That would be an additional $150 million in luxury taxes for those four teams. Oh. And that is a big number there. And, and for Philly, that would be an, an additional $30 million. So um, for an organization that was about to take, what, 20% of, of, uh, of pay for employees, um, that's, that's a big number. But Philadelphia is definitely a team that I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on you know, Philly, Kevin, uh, so if, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say over and over that a team that is that good at home as they were during the season has a fighting chance to do anything in the playoffs. They were 29 and two at home when the league stopped. Um, now there might not be home games. <laughs> there might no. not be home games. Uh, you know, there may be neutral site games. And if they, even if they play games in Philly when they come back, I suspect there will be no fans. Um, bad news for Philly. I guess the good news is Ben Simmons, the back injury was severe enough that it was season threatening. Um, I believe, by the way, I, I, I've, I've got my own internal belief that it's going to be a four month delay. Um, my, my belief is we're coming back in, uh, in July, uh, again, with the hope that we flatten the curve and that the country gets past it. That goes without saying, but, um, you know, giving Ben Simmons four months, that's kind of the good news, might really help his back. 
uh, assuming that he's healthy overall. But um, but that's not that was not good news <laughs> that they potentially lost their home court advantage in this whole thing, and um, uh, amongst a lot of other bad news. And and then they're going to go into a summer where they have some huge decisions. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like with Philly, you know, other than the the coaching question, I mean, obviously, you know, there's. Uh, McMahon has been repeatedly uh, raising the idea that they might trade one of Embiid or Simmons this summer, and I think that if you have an abbreviated postseason because of the you know the, the delay in, in the season, it becomes a lot harder to make that decision that quickly, which I I don't think would be a good idea anyway, but it, it becomes an even worse idea in this standpoint. That's a really good point. I mean. Um... Before we ran into a pandemic, that was one of the hottest things in the league people would talk about would be, you know, will one of those guys become available this summer? And um, that question is not going to go away. It's eventually going to come to a head. And my guess, uh, Bobby, is that if they do not have a, have a successful postseason, before they would make such a move like that, they would probably see if a different coach would uh, could make it work. But it's something that I'm sure they've had internal discussions about. Well, yeah, I mean, the the coaches, you know, that's how it goes, right? I mean, it's, it's always, you know, from a front office perspective, it's it's the coach that goes because you're the ones who put the roster together and, you know, so you're not going to fire what you uh, put together. And, and usually in a, in a front office, you think the roster is a lot better than maybe what it what it is. Um, so I, I would be... You know, I would be. I think Kevin made a great point, especially if things are shortened here. You know, how do you gauge moving Simmons or Embiid based on a truncated, um, you know, postseason when you might be playing, you know, somewhere else outside of uh, outside of Philadelphia? So, a team that I am now really, really watching is the Houston Rockets because Tillman Fertitta, their owner, has been absolutely devastated by the last few months uh, financially. Now, we are in a time where every business is taking a hit. Well, Tillman Fertitta has been hit on all sides. Uh, he suffered tens of millions, from what I understand, in losses with the collapse of his Chinese sponsorships with the Rockets in the wake of what happened last fall. Um, his other businesses are restaurants and casinos, he recently had to furlough 40,000 employees of casinos, hotels, and restaurants, and now his NBA team is not uh, operating. And um, the reason that Tillman Fertitta's situation is so perilous, um, you know, for example, Mickey Arison, who owns the Miami Heat, his fortune is derived from the cruise industry, and obviously the cruise industry is shut down right now. So I'm sure that the Arisons are facing extraordinary headwinds uh, in addition to the heat being shut down. But the difference is, is the way that Tillman Fertitta has um, financed the purchase of his assets, including the Rockets. He requires an enormous amount of money to service the debt. So I know this gets a little complicated, but I'm just going to tell you that according to, I think, Forbes, it was either Forbes or Bloomberg, he needs $250 million a year just to pay the debt that he's got um, on all of his assets. Obviously, he's in tough position right now to, to, to meet those. Now, I'm not going to worry about him when I go to sleep tonight. He'll be fine. He's a billionaire. He owns a lot of stuff. But as he makes decisions with the Rockets, 
that's going to affect the way that they that they do business. You know, also Mike D'Antoni is a free agent at the end of the season. They did not agree on a contract extension. He doesn't have to wait for the Rockets to tell him what to do. He can go somewhere else, and there could be some big jobs open um, that he may be interested in. Um, Bobby, they don't have a lot of flexibility with their roster, um, and they have uncertainty with the ability of their ownership to spend significantly. So how do you look at them? Well, it, and it's funny. It's like their stack of chips that they once had is now kind of dwindling down as far as asset-wise, right? For their a draft pick was sent at the deadline for Robert Covington. Um, so you, you remove that. I mean, they, this team hasn't had a, a first-round pick, and you know, I think since they drafted Clint Capella, um, you, you look at you know certainly as you mentioned, you got Mike D'Antoni, kind of a, you know what the future is going to be there, Daryl Morey. Um, based off you know what happened with you know the the China tweet earlier in um, you know September October um, you've got a lot of different ways to I mean Harden and Westbrook are locked in for the next you know three years um, and really your assets are you've got PJ Tucker on an expiring contract Eric Gordon has been uh, since signing that extension has been on the injured list more than the active list and then you've got uh, Daniel House Jr. and Robert Covington so. Man, there are, you know, and Daryl's always been good as far as trimming around the edges, as far as how he's built out the bench, bench usually in the in the buyout market. But um, this team's going to be restricted as far as what they're going to be able to do here. I mean, I think if we go back to that scenario we talked about earlier about what if the cap comes in next season or is set next season at the same place it was this season, in that case, just because of the giant raises in Westbrook's and Harden's contracts, the Rockets would basically be at the luxury tax before they even started to fill out the roster. So, you know, they they have they've said in the past couple of seasons that they've been willing to pay the luxury tax. Somehow, miraculously, have avoided it. But uh, if they're not going miraculously to- on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just a remarkable coincidence from, yeah. from what I understand. Uh, if they're going to avoid it next season, if there is in fact, you know, no raise in the cap, then that's probably going to require them trading Gordon or, you know, someone else, but Gordon would seem like the most likely candidate. Keep an eye on that situation. Um, so we want to go to our, one of our use, one of our user, one of our, our listener call-ins, um, there is a hotline that we set up uh, here where you can leave messages. Andrew Hahn, what is that hotline number? Uh-huh. Andrew Hahn, what is that hotline number? Uh, it is 402-316-2955. There you go. 402-296. What was, <laughs> I can't remember oh numbers. 402 402- <laughs> Three one six two nine five five. In the age of uh, just everybody sending contacts, well, you never have to dial your phone. I've totally lost the ability to remember a ten a ten digit number. We'll, we'll put it um, in this podcast description. Okay. All right. So uh, here is the question. What's up, Hoop Collective Crew? This is Lucas calling from Greensboro. Hope everybody's doing well. Two questions for you. Um, what is your sense of the value of first-round picks as trade assets in this year's draft? For example, the Warriors are expected to have two high lottery picks. Do you think these will fetch some starter-level talent or even a star, or are they better off hanging on to the picks and hoping they hit? Uh, second question, what's on the horizon for my guy DeMarcus Cousins? 
Uh, I've heard some reports that he's still hanging around the Lakers and they seem to have a strong relationship. Do you think he sticks around in L.A. or or is he just looking for the money or is he looking for success? So this is a pretty good question for Lucas based on what we just talked about with uh you know trying to discuss the uh the viability of, of picks if you don't have much flexibility um but kevin correct me if i'm wrong but this is not seen as a particularly good draft and i'm not so sure what picks will have in value of trades this particular draft yeah i mean i think one of the questions that comes up is you know so basically the way that the dra- the rookie scale works for first round picks is they try to match essentially the curve that we typically see in the draft where the the best players are at the very top and then you know it it curves down and as you go through the uh the the first round and then on into the second round but if you've got a draft like this year where there's not considered to be that kind of superstar talent at the top you know all of a sudden the value of those picks where usually players on their rookie contracts are underpaid relative to what they produce, that might not be there for the top picks this year. I think that there might be, you know, the the value in terms of trade, you know, between say the second pick and the seventh pick might not be as, as large as it normally is. Now, all it takes is one team to fall in love with a guy to be willing to move up. But I, I wonder if, you know, if the Warriors are willing to swallow that huge tax bill that we talked about earlier, their ability to take on a contract using that uh, Andre Iguodala trade exception from a team that suddenly finds itself in or near the tax, that might actually be the more valuable part of the uh, appeal in a trade, even more so than that lottery pick they'll have. Yeah, Bobby, since since Lucas asked us about uh, the, the Warriors, when the Warriors cut their salary with all those tr- moves around the trade deadline, one of the things that they said was, well, it was important for us to get out of the tax this year because we're going to use the Iguodala trade exception to acquire uh, a major player uh, f- uh, for next year. $17 million, I believe, uh, is that trade exception. Um, and I assume it'll get extended, by the way. For, it's it's got like a July f- – Fifth, uh, I'm sure that'll be extended, don't you think? I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's another one of many, many things that will be bargained. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's another story for another day. Um, but um, I think uh, what Kevin is saying here is that that alone may not get it done. It may be using that plus the pick in this environment um, because the, the value of draft picks, especially first, first round picks, is not, is not that high uh, right now. Well, and they, yeah, as you mentioned, they they went under the tax this year, and they saved by doing so. They're not a repeater tax, so instead of paying a dollar fifty for every you know dollar of you're over in that five million dollar bracket, in um, you know it would have been two dollars and fifty cents. So um, saves them probably about an additional twenty five thirty million dollars just by going under the tax. I, I think guys that they're you know they'll they'll have a top five pick somewhere there. I think that Minnesota pick that they have in 2021 that's top three protected probably has more value right now compared to um, to maybe the third pick in a draft or the second pick in a draft this year. But of course, as, as, as Brian kind of said, you know, unless they you know, there's a team out there that falls in love with a player picking up that high. Well, I, there is a possibility. One of the things I've talked to some agents about is, you know the players union and the and the owners are going to have to enter into negotiations about how to deal with this delay 
And some of the agents have raised the possibility that issues that have been sitting on the table for a while could be brought into discussions, such as the one-and-done rule. Now, there is so many pressing issues that need to be dealt with that you know that are there where we sort of in our crisis that entering that sort of complicated thing into talks would potentially be difficult and that, and that then may not happen having said that we just saw major league baseball come to a a uh, an agreement with its uh players union and baseball has wanted to implement some significant changes to the draft and guess what there was a bunch of changes to the draft that were in negotiated in uh, to this new collective bargaining agreement. And if I were the NBA owners, I would pay attention to that and say, wonder if we can start negotiating some draft changes. So um, potentially the it increases the value of some picks in the short term. Just obviously it wouldn't happen this draft, but I'll keep an eye on that. He also asked about DeMarcus Cousins. Um I think DeMarcus Cousins is looking at um, a make-good contract, even if it's for more than the minimum. I think after the series of injuries he's had, he's had three consecutive serious injuries on top of each other with the Achilles, the the, uh, the quad uh, injury, and then the uh, ACL, um, all of which in the indicate maybe coming back and doing too much too fast which indicates he's going to even need more time to come back from this. Bobby, I mean, he's going to have a job in the league, but I don't think it's going to be for, quote, many sort of big money. No, I agree. I mean, I think he's probably, you know, minimum to, uh, you know, maybe gets a little bit more, but with some partial money guaranteed. But it goes back to prioritizing teams that have, you know, the tax mid-level, which was right around $6 million, or the room mid-level, which is around 5 or the full mid-level, around 9.8 um those are priority and i don't i don't see you know demarcus cousins kind of being a priority right now i think it will have a job certainly but not at not at significant money yeah and kevin i would think that the lakers would are interested in keeping dwight howard around to see if they could squeeze another year out of him at this production level than they are about having a mystery with demarcus cousins yeah, it opened the door for Dwight Howard, his his injury, to uh, come in there and play much better than I think anyone expected. So, you know, maybe if JaVale McGee declines his player option, which is $4.2 million, then it seems unlikely, again, you know, with the, the constraints on free agency that we've talked about. But maybe that opens the door for Cousins or, you know, he just provides a, a different look for them. But, you know, they don't have the same kind of playing time to offer that it looked like they did before Dwight Howard came in there. I would highly, highly suggest to JaVale McGee to pick up that contract <laughs> option. Um, all right, Bobby, thank you so much for all your hard work. Definitely check out that story when it posts on Monday. Kevin, thank you, and please stay safe. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Troy, who is in Connecticut, still uh, making sure that this podcast is uh, operational. Uh, thank you, Wilson Loop Collective, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.